Hey, hey, any youth leaders out there? Yep, serving with youth in the church? Serving with youth in the church is probably one of the most enjoyable callings, but it brings with it a lot of responsibility. How do we effectively lead this rising generation? Well, I have good news for you. Leading Saints has organized the Young Saints Virtual Library, where we have 20 plus hours of presentations all about how to lead youth. We cover topics like how to help youth transition into adulthood, how to help them avoid loneliness, how to handle smartphones in class, and we even go over scientific data about how Latter-day Saint youth differ from other youth. If you'd like to review the Young Saints Library at no cost for 14 days, simply go to leadingsaints.org 14. That's leadingsaints.org 14. While you're at it, we'll give you access to all of our virtual libraries that cover several leadership related topics. So click the link in the show notes or simply visit leadingsaints.org 14. Today, I have the opportunity to connect with Daniel Bingham. How are you, Daniel? Doing wonderful. Thank you. Awesome. Well, this interview, I guess, came from an email I received from your your niece's husband, who's yeah. engages with a lot of the Leading Saints content. He said, hey, you've got to interview my, my wife's uncle, and mm-hmm. uh, he's got so, some unique experience of leadership and whatnot, and so I'm glad it worked out, and uh, and here we are. So, aren't you, aren't you grateful for that, <laughs> for your, oh, your niece? Yeah. He's a wonderful young man. I'll have to make sure that I uh, thank him for this. Yeah. <laughs> cool. Well, maybe just put yourself into perspective a little bit about your background and uh, and what leads you here today. Well, um, you know, it goes way back into when you're a youth. You spend time in the church to have various leadership responsibilities. Uh, everything from priesthood to primary to sports and then the list goes on and on and on and then the older you get of course the more the lord says okay you've had those experiences now let's kind of let's kind of turn the heat up just a little bit and see how you do here in these other places so i've had the privilege to serve in many of the callings that most members of the church do and i think one of the greatest experiences i had was uh, as a scout master and mm-hmm. and then deacon's quorum advisor working with those young men i think i learned more about leadership than probably anything else I've ever been involved in. Um, my, my bishop used to tell me that uh, being a scoutmaster was the prerequisite to becoming a, a leader within the church. And I think in some respects, that's probably true. So I've had a lot of variety of leadership responsibilities, and uh, I think all of them have uh, allowed me to learn various things and leadership skills and quality. Nice. And then if I understand right, you, um, a lot of your professional life was in, in academics and administration of, of colleges and whatnot. Is that? Yeah. My, my background has mostly been in higher education at the community college level. I, um, had various responsibilities from, uh, professor, uh, ships and all the way up to CEO president of a two-year community college and a lot of everything in between. Cool. Awesome. And, and you were so kind to send me a list of some principles that we'll, we'll talk about. I, but I want to um, ask you about your, you had the opportunity to, to serve as a mission president in Australia. Uh, what do you remember from uh, that? Is there a story behind when, when you were called as a mission president? 
um, story behind. I, you know, I, the Lord kind of makes things happen and uh, he creates the story or the narrative for you. And uh, yeah. I have learned from a variety of experiences that you just, uh, oftentimes you sit back and go for the ride and then respond accordingly. Um, so we, I had, I was serving as a state president in Helena, Montana, and I had been in uh, that particular position for about five years. And I, I got a uh, email message from Ella Bednar's secretary one early afternoon. Um, and as a state president, you have frequently contact with general authorities when you're working on projects or working with members' needs and such. And so it wasn't abnormal to get this communication, uh, but not always from the 12. And so when that happened, I, uh, I read the email and I backed away from my computer and decided I need to go for a walk because this was not the norm. And so at that point, it just kind of moved down the road and through various interviews with uh, members of the 12 and, uh, and then a call was extended. And I thought that was a little bit odd. I'd only been a state president for five years and thought it was a bit odd that I would, uh, they would ask if we would serve a, as mission president. And so um, we did, we took on that assignment to the Sydney South mission. And uh, that's where we had some great experiences with, uh, a variety of missionaries from all over the world. We had 22 different countries uh, represented on mission. Uh, we had five different languages that were spoken in the mission. And um, so, you know, from there, you, you learn a lot very quickly so that you can adapt to the missionaries and the missionaries can feel comfortable with you. And then you move the work forward. Yeah. And and then there uh, there's quite a story that... Uh happened as you were in a, in a biking accident. Is that right? What, what happened there? Well, eight months into the mission on Valentine's day. So oh, wow. yesterday we had our fourth year anniversary of my cycling accident. <clears throat> uh, one morning we got up I, every Wednesday morning, I would ride with a group of individuals from the community uh, early morning and then uh, come home, get ready for the day and then go out and do the work. I had a good stake president friend of mine who would go with me periodically. And he called the night before said, I want to go with you. So wait, and I'll, I'll come and meet you up at your house. And we, we did, and we got on the road to, to meet up with the rest of the group. And before we got there, I had an accident and broke my neck at the C2, which is about as high as you could possibly break your neck wow. and pinched the nerve between the three and six. And so I'm considered a quadriplegic, but I'm in what they call an incomplete quadriplegic. So it's not completely severed my cord. The, uh, uh, and so that I can use my legs, uh, I walk, but I can't feel them. So I have had to train myself to be able to walk and see where I'm walking so that I can. I can't use my arms or my legs, uh, my hands. Um, but fortunately, Heavenly Father allowed me to maintain my, uh, my brain so I can still think and read and do all kinds of things. And, uh, so we came home, uh, right after that, uh, they flew us home and, and I've been in rehab now for four years and I've kind of learned how to do things a different way, but I can still do a lot of things. Yeah. 
And I imagine obviously that's a, a trial on, on many different levels, both physically, mentally, spiritually. Was, uh, was there a feeling of, um, like that you, you know, you weren't able to, to finish what you started. I want to start some regret there or whatnot. Obviously you had some physical limitations there that didn't allow that, but what, uh, what sort of the emotional journey did you go on that transitioning back from that, that calling? Well, I think there's a lot of emotion that, uh, that, that you feel. And I have felt from the day one. And when I woke up in the hospital after a very extensive operation to kind of settle things down and, uh, as I kind of surveyed what was going on around me, realized all I could do is make, move the big toe on my left foot, and that was all. It was only a movement I had. I actually I could move my face, um, blink my eyes, and things like that. But um, other than that, um, that's all I had. And so you, you go through a range of emotion, like, okay, now how do I process this? What can I do with this? Uh, what's going to be my future? Um, I didn't think much about whether I completed or wasn't able to complete the mission because I had, as I had counseled many missionaries prior to our, the accident, uh, the counsel with them was you serve as long as you can and as hard as you can. Uh, there may be a reason that you need to go home early, and that is not an indication that you have not completed your mission. You do everything the Lord has asked you to do. And once you've gone as far as you can, you go home and you are a successful missionary. And I had counseled many missionaries in regards to that. And so I didn't feel like I had not accomplished my mission. We were there. We did what the Lord wanted us to do. And now it's time to go home. So that's how I processed it. And that's how I look at it today. Um, I don't think there was any failure or lack of accomplishment or lack of completion. Um, I feel like I, we did what we needed to do and we're done. So let's move on. What's next? What else yeah. can we do? And I've been working so hard in rehab in the last four years. I haven't had time to yeah. lament anything. Um, yeah, I've been trying to figure out how to use my new body the way it is and keep progressing. Yeah. And that's an interesting concept because we often hear about the topic of, you know, you know, quote, early return missionaries in the context of, you know, the young missionaries. But uh, from time to time, even mission presidents are, uh, you know, and their mission earlier than expected. And and so I imagine that uh, you have a unique perspective as, as you meet and counsel with uh, maybe young missionaries who come home early. Absolutely. You know, we are all subject to the human body and what the yeah. limitations are. Um, nobody is immune to um, tragedy or hard work or anything that that befalls all of us at some point in time. And I think as Elder um, Holland has said many times that if you're having struggles and trials in your life, then you're in great company because we all have uh, go back to the time of Adam and move forward. You probably you will not find a a, a prophet or anybody uh, who has worked in the church or has been alive on the earth who hasn't had struggles and trials. And, um, you know, we're you're human. And so we're subject to all those frailties that come upon us. And I'm no exception. I mean, you know, I was always thought, Bob, yeah, I'm on a mission. We're serving, should be protected. Well, you are, but at the same time, things do happen and you have to live with it and move ahead. 
Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, I'm just curious, just speaking specifically and, and, you know, maybe we'll, we'll touch on some of these, these principles he sent, but just from that mission experience, those eight months serving as a mission president, um, walking into that role, was there anything specific that you did or any unique experience that you reflect on as far as uh, being a new leader in that mission? Well, you know, I, as a leader in higher education, you know who your audience is. Uh, you're in a culture that you're, you're very comfortable with. Uh, you, know, you know the ethnicities and everything that goes with culture. Now, we went to Australia and we landed in a, in a clim, climate or a, an area like Sydney is one of the biggest melting pots in the world. Mm-hmm. Um, there are people from all over the world there, and there's not just a few. There's thousands uh, communities within Sydney where um, hundreds of, of thousands of people would be all from one particular nationality, one culture, and they would live in that same community. And then you go to another area of Sydney, you find another culture. Um, so we had uh, a, a lot of Samoan, a lot of Tongan uh, missionaries. Uh, we had Spanish missionaries. Uh, of course, we had English missionaries. We had missionaries from that come in from all the islands, and and we had missionaries from mainland China who were serving with us. Uh, we had uh, Cantonese speaking missionaries. Um, we had uh, uh, just about everything you possibly think of. Um, so we walked into that situation, and we were completely out of our comfort zone when it came to working with so much diversity. And that's something we had to work, learn very quickly because a, a young man or a young lady would come from Fiji and we're talking remote Fiji on small islands that the only way you get to is by boat and then bring them into the heart of the city in Sydney where you have you know, millions of people and some of them don't speak English very well. You learn, have to learn very quickly how to lead and guide them so that they can fulfill the role in which the Lord has called them. And you would not treat that individual the same way as you treated an individual who was born and bred in the heart of Utah. Um, yeah. Two different personalities, different backgrounds, different communication skills, different interaction skills. All those had to be learned and understood very quickly so that we could help that young man or young woman uh, achieve what the Lord has asked them to do. Yeah, that's awesome. Really, really interesting. Um, so let's jump into some of these principles here. The first one is a, is a clarifying statement that uh, as far as principles go, you, you put down traditional leadership principles when applied in the church are simpler to use and more readily accepted because of our foundational doctrine. I'd love to have you unpack that. Oh. You know, I thought about that over and over again as I wrote that. And was, what, does, what does that really mean to me? In that, uh, as a leader in a community college, you, you work with individuals who work for you and receive a paycheck for the work in which they're engaged in. And their role, their um, willingness to act in a common way such as fulfilling the mission statement of the, of the institution, um, you give variety. You don't, you don't get 
streamline activity. You get a variety of activities. Somebody will look at that mission statement and interpret it the way they want to interpret it to meet their own individual needs and desires and wants, uh, things that impact them in their lives. But when you apply those same leadership principles in a in the church setting, you have to remember, number one, that you're dealing with volunteers. You're not dealing with somebody who's receiving a paycheck, who has a position. And if they don't work out, you simply let them go if they need to be, and you bring in somebody else. Um, and they go find another job. You don't do that in the church. And so when you use traditional leadership principles, you have to always remember that this individual is volunteering and they're doing very best. I think about Joseph Smith when he said, um, I teach them to correct principles and they govern themselves. Um, the principles that we teach them is how to do the job. So we bring a Relief Society president in who is scared to death about what their calling is going to entail and the amount of work and, and having to work with all the sisters and help them achieve their goal to learn the gospel and return to their Heavenly Father. Uh, ready to live with him again. Um, so we take this sister and we teach her and help her to learn her responsibility. How do I lead the sisters? Uh, how do I help them become what Heavenly Father wants them to become? And then we remember that they're volunteers. So we teach them. That's the first part with what Joseph said. I teach them correct principles and the principles of the gospel. And then we turn them loose and say, now we want you to govern yourself. We want you to receive personal revelation. We want you to act independently in relationship to that revelation. We don't want you to have to come to the bishop every five minutes to say, is this okay that I do this? Or what should I do next? We want you to ask the Lord because that's what you were set apart to do and to receive that revelation. And so in the traditional institutional setting, non-gospel related, we would monitor every detail or activity of that individual to a certain degree anyway, so that they maintain the mission of the institution. Whereas the gospel and the principles of the gospel and the purpose that we are here upon this earth and to help our Heavenly Father to bring to pass the immortality and eternal life of His children, we turn that daily activity over to those individuals and we ask them to ask Heavenly Father to help them and to follow that counsel. And then we back off. Well, in a, in a, in a set, setting like in, uh, in the world, in uh, higher education, you wouldn't back off. You would pay attention, you would monitor and then you would get input and pay attention and monitor. And we do that to a certain degree, but not, not to the same entity that we do outside the church because we believe in personal revelation. And that's the governing itself. And that helps adhere that individual to the mission of the church. Yeah. And I would imagine, I mean, this dynamic, you know, when you back off, you sort of surrender control as far as, or, or expectation is where you, you are maybe hoping it goes because maybe someone receives specific direction and takes it in a way that you didn't expect or wouldn't have done yourself. And so 
Um, so then it's easy to sort of fall back into this maybe more secular mode of leadership where you try and influence things, even though you maybe don't have those controls like a paycheck and whatnot. But so, I mean, would you, is that how you would categorize it? Like you sort of have to surrender a little bit and be okay if it goes in a different direction? Oh, absolutely. And I think a good leader becomes very adept at surrendering them, their will and allowing another person else to, to really grow in their own personal will rather than the bishop will or the stake president's will or something like that. It's very difficult for a leader to step back and, and look at something and be open enough to realize there's dozens of ways in which to accomplish a task. And the Lord has called an individual and uh, wants them to receive revelation. And so you've got to back off and say, okay, go to it. Um, I'm going to zip my lip, so to speak. And not not get involved here because the Lord's directing you, and you you know these individuals better than I do because of your calling. So uh, why do what I feel so um, a need to be able to get involved at, at, at the real grassroots level? Uh, that's what that person was called for. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, we're sort of jumping around on your principles here, which is okay. I just uh, The last one is know and allow for more than one way to accomplish a task or achieve a goal, right? That's sort of the mindset one needs in order to empower those that you lead in this these types of volunteer organizations. Exactly. If the Lord wanted to, to clone everybody um, and make them all bishops, he, he could have done that a long time ago. But that was kind of Satan's idea is to, to do that. And the Lord knows that we're all individuals and he accepts us where we're at. And he understands that we're all progressing at a different rate or di- different time frame. And a, and a bishop, state president, or uh, even a release site president, eligible president, when they ask someone to do something and they, they set them apart, especially for that task, they need to back off and, and let that individual receive personal revelation. Because it's, it's a growth opportunity, not only for those who are serving, but for that person who is leading. They need to have that experience. And even though a bishop could say, well, I've asked this individual to do that, and I know that um, if, if they don't do it this way, this way, this way, I can tell you what's going to happen. Okay, that's great. That's all right. Uh, it may take them a month longer to accomplish the same task that you would have been involved in. But that's okay. The Lord's patient. And so we need to be patient too with them. Yeah. And I would imagine, I mean, I, I feel like on paper, this is this is really helpful that, you know, you're empowering people, you're encouraging them to seek revelation. But then there's this moment in leadership where you feel like, oh, I sort of, I'm looking at the reports here, the key indicators, and they seem to be going the wrong direction. And so there's this temptation of being like, I get the principle, but I need to step in here and maybe... Uh, maybe influence a little bit stronger and, and uh, put my will in, in, in for a little bit. And so how, how do you, I'm sure you've been in moments where that, where it's sort of like the, the key indicators aren't lining up or, or the goals aren't being hit how I saw them need to be hit. So how do I, how do you maintain that balance? Well, that's where communication comes into play. That's where serving in a leadership capacity, serving as, as opposed to always leading. Um, I've had that experience too, where you bring the high council in and you say, uh, 
we've got some things in our state that we need to kind of get going in a different way. And instead of having the state presidency go to the whiteboard and say, well, I'm going to outline it for you, and these are your marching orders, there's a, I, there's a, always a better way um, to do that because you want to engage the mind, minds of everybody in that room. So you've got 12 men who have been called, and you've got uh, your state leadership, let's say. I'll use this as an example. You've got 15 individuals in the room with a variety of experiences. Why would you not tap in to that brain power mm. uh, and then let the Lord help guide and direct you rather than be the dictator, yeah. rather than the facilitator? Um, that doesn't mean that you give up your role and responsibility for the calling you have. A uh, state president has priesthood keys and is ultimately responsible for that activity that goes on in that stake. But it doesn't mean that you're a dictatorial type individual who just simply barks out directions and orders and then monitors the, uh, the actions of everybody in the room. But you bring in that brain power and the individual um, revelatory experiences that can happen with those individuals in the room to collectively come up with a solution. Again, being open to know that there's more than one ways to do it and then bring that collective brain power in there. And I think that comes from communication, communicating appropriately, uh, openly, and, uh, and frequently bringing back the conversation to the direction that the Lord has perhaps indicated the state prison they want, that he wants you to go. But I, I believe in getting buy-in. There is greater power when you have buy-in from those you are leading. That way they all feel connected and empowered and a part of the solution rather than being just told what to do all the time. Yeah, I, I really like that. That I feel like in leadership that sometimes we can default to, well, I'm sort of the guy that has more a higher perspective and therefore I have better answers. But in reality, sometimes your perspective helps you identify the problem rather than the answer. And so you can bring that problem to a council setting and say, okay, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm trusting in your personal revelation. I want you to feel empowered, but generally speaking, you know, I just feel like we're not moving in the right direction. So let's come together and see what we can figure out together. Use our brain power, our inspiration, you know, uh, request the, the, the guidance of the, the, of God in, in this, and you'll begin to come up with solutions and answers to maybe that problem that you've identified as the leader. Now you may have the answer. The Lord may have revealed the answer to you, but how do you bring along everybody else that's connected to that activity? Yeah. That's the important thing. Can you get them to come to the same conclusion uh, through your conversation, through your, your troubleshooting? Uh, you'll be more powerful in bringing the whole group along than just telling them what to do. Um, I, I, in my PhD, I wrote a dissertation uh, that was based on shared governance in higher education. That was a, a big buzzword in the 80s and 90s. It was, it was the word, shared governance. Everybody was talking about it. And there, what was really interesting is there are some states that went to the legislature and actually had them legislatively mandate shared governance in higher education. Well, <laughs> I, I spent a year writing that dissertation and doing all the research. 
and it came to the conclusion after I spoke to a very wise president of the community college one day. He goes, "There's no such thing as shared governments," and it just blew me away. Uh, I spent all this time, and I'm coming to the and he's he, he's coming to the conclusion there's no such thing, and he says, "Let me tell you why that doesn't work, because when you're in leadership, you are ultimately responsible for what happens, and, and this is more true." Outside of the church, um, the consequences are larger than inside the church. That's why my clarifying statement about the yeah. foundation of principles being very important to just basic leadership skills. Um, and he said to me, he says, the reason why it doesn't work is because the one thing you cannot share is ultimate responsibility. Mm. The CEO is responsible. And if something goes south, that CEO is the one that's going to be put on the chopping block. Yeah. And he says, what we're really talking about is not shared governance, but participatory governance. Mm. Let's get everybody to participate, when, but we all need to understand who's ultimately responsible. But in the, in the church, we're all responsible. We all have a vested interest. And the Lord's not going to go to the state president and say, you know, your uh, temple attendance is down in your stake, and it's your fault. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to call you to the carpet. No, the Lord's going to say, let's get everybody working together, and everybody take a shared responsibility here. What can they do, and how can they affect a change in the stake? And he's going to hold us all accountable, not just the state president, but all of us will be accountable for our particular role in helping that particular area to go up. Yeah. And that accountability looks different, right? There's no chopping block, like you mentioned earlier. It's not like everybody's going to get fired, but the responsibility is uh, is a little bit different, right? But it's still a shared responsibility. Absolutely. And, and the Lord's going to keep giving us opportunities to improve and to improve. If we didn't get it right this time, he's going to give us an opportunity to, to improve. He'll never just turn away and say, no, you didn't make it as a leader, so I'm never going to give you a leadership role. That doesn't happen in the church. Uh, you'll have one leadership role after another. Whether you were you felt you were successful or not, the Lord is going to say, as far as I'm concerned, you were successful uh, for the efforts that you put into it. Now, let's learn from that and let's move on and try again. Until you get to the point where you're perfect, which is not going to happen in this life anyway. Yeah. Yeah, really, that's a interesting thing to explore as far as responsibility, because sometimes, it, it, I mean, a lot of the decisions we make in church leadership, are they as consequential as maybe a huge corporation with, you know, thousands of jobs and livelihoods and whatnot? I mean, maybe the day-to-days aren't good, but yeah, there are some where maybe a certain bishop doesn't lead as effective as others when it comes to the youth and maybe... Because of that, some of those youth fall away or whatever it is. But we all have the foundation of the great leader, Jesus Christ, that, yeah, we may not be up to par or we may make mistakes. And, and, uh, but, you know, Jesus Christ still covers those, those mistakes and, and uh, invites us to keep trying and learning, even though some of these mistakes feel heavy. And, and who's to say that we weren't successful? Yeah. Who is, who's defining that? Um, the Lord defines that, and he's not going to give up on us uh, in this life or in the next. I, I, I believe 
there will be leadership opportunities after this life also, because there's a great deal of work to be done. And everything has to be organized and moving along. And uh, I, I think we're going to find ourselves in the other side of the veil when it comes time to doing the Lord's work there, that um, there's going to be some leaders and followers and doers and all that's going to need to happen because we're not all going to be in the same place uh, spiritually or knowledge-wise. And uh, I think about the 138th section of the Doctrine and Covenants when, when the Lord, uh, when it talks about the Lord went to uh, the spirit prison and, and prepared that whole way. He brought in his best and the brightest uh, prophets and such and said, now, let me teach you what I want you to teach. I'm thinking, okay. So the Lord's teaching Isaiah what he wants to teach that those who don't know the gospel or Adam and things like that. We're all going to need some guidance and direction. And there's going to, there's an organization there. So leadership opportunities are not going to stop after this. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's encouraging for sure. Um, and next principle, you sort of touched on communication, but you said all communication should be honest, two-way, frequent, and clear, clearly consistent. Uh, unpack that for us. I, I think we, we struggle with that in around the world to be completely honest in that communication and to frequently um, share the message without giving out mixed messages. I think we've been seeing that in our <laughs> politics as of late. Uh, we're not sure who's saying what, when, where, why, and even in the same organization, we can take different messages. In the, in the gospel, it's very, very easy to give the same message because it hasn't changed from the time that Adam was placed here upon the earth. Um, and then we need to remind our brothers and sisters frequently what that message is. And uh, yeah. as long as we stay along the lines of the gospel, then we're not going to get outside that message. And it's easier to say frequent and consistent. But I think oftentimes we as leaders need to remind our brothers and sisters, this is why we're doing these things in our stake or our ward. And it always comes back to the Lord's work and helping our Heavenly Father's children get what they need so that when they return to Him, they can live with Him for eternity. And there needs to um, not only be consistent with that, but they need to model that over and over and over again. Um, and when you get the same message frequently, it's easily easy to follow that mission and easy then to know what direction you need to go. So, um, but you got to communicate that often. It can't be just once and then they assume that everybody remembers because we all forget over time and we lose focus because we're engaged and we start going down these rabbit holes or uh, directions that are tangential to the mission. Sometimes it's important for us to, we need to be brought back to center sometimes and that communication can make that happen. Yeah. Are there any stories or examples that come to mind, whether during your time as stake president or mission president, where you're sort of trying to manage the communication or making sure it's, it's, you know, where it should be with all things communication. Anything come to mind? I think one of the struggles that a mission president has is a lot of times is that their area is so large mm. and that they don't always get to communicate directly to the missionaries. And so every six weeks, uh, you, you bring your missionary 
leadership in. And uh, it's time to have a, let's bring it back to center of focus on what we're all trying to do. And a good leader uses his chain uh, of influence down to the individual that is probably the furthest away from them. On uh, our mission, we had missionaries that were uh, probably the furthest away was probably about six hours away wow. from the mission home. Uh, and you don't, you're not always on the phone talking to them, but they have zone leaders and they have district leaders. And so you bring in those individuals, you focus those individuals, and then collectively determine how to make sure that the missionary at the farthest end of the realm is getting the same information um, from the mission president um, and, and do it in such a concise way that there's no room for interpretation or error. So I, we, learned, we learned very quickly that we need to make sure um, that we're focusing the whole line from the mission president to the missionaries in the field and uh, that that communication was consistently given down to them through the various meetings that they would have weekly uh, to make sure that communication wasn't was passed down. So um, I think you can set up processes within a stake or your, your ward, wherever it might be, so that you're communicating to the right people so they can communicate then on the individuals you probably won't have a, a direct conversation with very often. Yeah. And I guess is that touch on you mentioned the two-way communication. Is that your the two ways maybe a way to monitor what people are hearing or what they understand? Is that what you mean by two-way? Sure. Clarification needs to go both ways so you make sure that you understand. They understand that. On our mission, uh the phone started ringing at 6 30 in the morning. That's when they woke up, the missionaries. And it stopped at 10.30 night because that's when they were supposed to be in bed. <laughs> and so uh, there wasn't a day that that phone just did a ring off his ringing. Um, and the missionaries need to know that they're open communication uh, right directly back to their mission president. Same is true with the state president. Uh, just because they're not functioning directly in any individual ward does not mean that they I shouldn't make sure that every member of that stake knows that they can have open and honest direct communication with that leader. Same is true about a with a bishop. No, you don't need to go through your your um, Elscorn president to to ask a question. If you need to, you can pick up that phone and call me. Now, I prefer you to work through your leaders, but this, this doesn't always happen. If the individual, if an individual you you are ultimately serving or leading knows that you're open to that direct communication, uh, they'll take advantage of it to the point where they feel like they really need to talk to you. But most of the time, I believe they will say, you know, I don't really want to bother them with this question, so I'm going to go through a different line. And unless I'm not getting an answer that was really helpful, then I'll go direct. Yeah. Yeah. That's really helpful. Well, the leader uh, sets that tone, sets that yeah. tone with all the people that they're serving with. Yeah. I, I love framing it with the tone because like, there is always a tone in leadership and these are ways that you sort of set that tone. Um, the next principle is your mission or purpose should be well-defined, widely understood and consistently modeled by leadership. I think we kind of mentioned this a little bit in some of our conversation earlier, but 
again, with the gospel of Jesus Christ, mm-hmm. <laughs> it is so easy. The, the mission doesn't change. It hasn't changed. In higher education, it's been my experience that with every new leader, you have a new mission. Mm-hmm. Uh, with the church, no matter what leader is, is there, it's the same mission. Uh, and we get better clarification as new leaders come and go based on their understanding and personality. And um, that's refreshing. But the mission is the same. Um, and, and again, I, I mentioned bringing individuals back to center so that we don't get too far off to the right or the left. And I think the church does that very, very well. And our leaders have modeled that for us. Um, I think there's a lot of religions out there that are, they may have one name, but they don't always work the same uh, in in their various um, groups throughout the world. And you notice that in the church, you can go to church in Utah, uh, Taiwan, uh, Africa, uh, England, no matter where you go, you know what the pattern is for a sacrament meeting. You know what the lesson is going to be when you go to each side of your or, or priesthood. You know that because the church is uniformed in its message and everybody widely understands that. And I think that keeps us connected to the foundational principles of the gospel. Um, we don't need to know specifically how a leader is going to interpret a point of doctrine because that point of doctrine is widely understood and it is streamlined throughout the church as way, as it is with the Lord. The Lord was exactly the same way. Um, and when he put his church here back here upon this earth, he organized it with those streamlined doctrinal principles. And uh, that, that was our mission and our purpose. And we never deviate from that. Yeah. And did you feel like, was there anything, you know, specific you did to um to make sure that the mission and purpose was top of mind because i mean like you said it's sort of consistent regardless of the leader but i know you know some missions or stakes or awards have you know the, the word motto or a visual mission statement or or whatnot and obviously there's you know the statement the missionary um uh the uh the yeah the purpose missionary purpose right um and so was there anything specific you did to keep it top of mind or was it just always assumed what the, the mission and purpose was? Again, in the gospel, it's a lot easier to do that. Yeah. In, a, in a non-gospel setting as a CEO, president there, um, whenever we would pull it, the uh, whole college together and have meetings, the, the leader has to continually, consistently reiterate over and over and over again that mission statement. And then when you have a conversation, you have to ask a question, ask the question out loud. How does that fulfill our mission Hmm. with what we're doing now? How does that fulfill our mission so that everything that you do at at a college or whatever uh, industry you're in, you always have to come back to that mission as a mission president. That was always well defined for us. And so you didn't have to worry about that too much. Um, Um, but I, I think even in the church, again, you got to bring that back to center. Uh, it's important that we ask ourselves um, when we're engaged in activity. I think a really good example is 
Oh, and, and let me share one example with you. Yeah. The state president, uh, several years ago, the church had a really big push to include the sisters in the leadership activities of the church. I don't know if you remember that. Yeah. Uh, but our ward councils were to change. Um, we were to bring the sisters into more meetings than ever before. I, it was, I, and I found that it was difficult for some of our bishops who were a little bit older and more and more set in their way to figure out how to do that, how to include uh, the sisters in those, in those meetings and not only include them, but reach out and, and engage them. It was hard for our sisters to actually engage because it wasn't something they were used to. And so um, to help our state make that transition, I took a couple of my high council members who had responsibilities in wards and branches, and I, I would go out with them, and then I would meet with the um, bishop council uh, and leadership in, in, the, in the ward. And then I would just, just visit and let them engage in their meetings. And then as they were going through and talking about things, I realized they were spent, still spending so much time in talking about the upcoming activity that they never really got down to the grassroots of the gospel, and that's to talk about how to help people. Mm. So uh, I would start interjecting my, my ideas and thoughts and trying to bring them back to the purpose of that council as, as we were shifting towards. And I would ask, uh, they would say, we're going to have this uh, activity coming up in primary. And I'd say, okay, who in the ward, your ward, um, who is not currently uh, super active or active, how do we reach out and, and connect them to this activity? And so they would start talking about them. I'd say, okay, this family has um, three young children and a, and a, a young man who's in uh, a men's organization. So how do we connect them to this activity? Who, who would actually connect them to this activity? And so we got down to the, the actual individual and who in, in the committee would go out or who in the organization would go out, make an invitation, pick them up, whatever it needed to be. And I, and I was just modeling the idea that it's okay to talk about an activity, but that's not the fundamental principle of what we're trying to do here is we're trying to connect people. So let's talk about people and who is involved and who's going to do what. So uh, we started doing that throughout the state. We saw a big difference in uh, the activities and the, the, uh, um, the individuals coming back to the ward who had stopped, stopped out for a period of time. And because we were talking about the people, not so much about the activity. And that, that I think if we just stood back and just let it kind of gel on its own, it may have taken years to get there. And so we took an active role to go in and model that and consistently over and over and over again um, use that activity as a way to train and retrain and then back off and say, okay, now, do it on your own and ask Heavenly Father for the guidance direction you need. Um, so that, that might be an, an example of that particular. Issue. Yeah, yeah. No, that's really helpful. That it seems like there's just that consistent effort to reconnect people, whether it's in a meeting setting or a council meeting, and that you're reconnecting them the, to how does this impact the mission and 
you know, and, and what can we do differently to make it even, even make our mission even more centered in this effort, right? Everything in the gospel is, is individually centered. It's not collective centered. And when you go to the temple, you do it for individuals. You do it for yourself. And uh, we don't go in there and do large batches of names at one time. Yeah. Everything is done with an individual in mind. And that's the way it should be on a day-to-day basis within a ward council or uh, with the Ellis Corn president working with their, their brethren in their form. Um, you reach out individually and you make a difference there. And that's the consistent message that we keep on delivering. That's the way the Lord delivered it. Yeah. Yeah, that's really helpful. Our next principle is service leadership can help you know the, and understand who you are leading. Help us understand service leadership. It's really much easier to be a leader and just sit in your office and bark orders and set, you know, send emails and edicts. It's one thing uh, I learned that as a CEO of a community college that I could get better mileage if I was up and out and walking around and engaging in the one-on-one relationship with the people that um, were working, and I'll use this term, working for me. I mean, I use that linear uh, message of um, a vertical-type relationship, uh, which is not a great way to lead. Anyway, so I, I, when you're serving someone else, you get to know who they are. And I spent a great deal of time uh, outside the office. I let my administrative assistant send the emails. I, you know, send something that I'd give her a, a direction. She'd send an email. But I would be out. Usually I got to the person before the email actually got to them. Um, but when you're serving them and helping them and looking and trying to take care of their individual needs, once you develop that type of relationship, it's a whole lot easier for them to follow and adhere to the mission and uh, trust, to trust the leader when you've made a personal connection. So I tried to make it a, a personal goal that I knew something or many things about every individual that, that worked at the college. Um, I would go out to shake their hands. I'd go into their classrooms. I'd find out what kind of dog they had, what the dog's name was, how many kids they had, you know, things like that. So you have a personal connection with them. Um, I think one of the best way to get to know somebody is to work side by side. Mm. So if you had to go out and weed the potato patch in the church farm and you're doing it with somebody you've never met, by the end of the day, you're best friends. And uh, the trust between the two of you has grown significantly. So you're not going to just see that person on the street and they say hello and then walk by them. You're going to stop and talk to them because you have that personal connection. And that's what service leadership does. It connects you to the individual and not just the person who has a title. Yeah. And I love that, you know, uh, working side by side, because we can fall into this routine of just sort of set the appointment up, come to my office, sit down, and we're going to talk for a few minutes. But but looking at those opportunities of services, opportunities to get to know people, even while you you serve is remarkable. We, We had a, in every in every ward or, or state, there's older individuals, <laughs> um, and we had a specific number of widows in this one ward, and and uh, I, I would always stop 
And when I would go to that ward, I would stop and shake their hands and talk to them and get to know who they are. And uh, we had this sweetheart dance done for the stake one time for the adults. Uh, and these widows were there. And I thought, you know, and one thing I really dislike to do, I hate to dance. I really dislike dancing. And I thought, well, what better way to get to know these young, these ladies than to ask them if they want to dance? And so went and and I asked this one lady, she was, I think, in her late 80s. <laughs> and if she wanted to dance, she said, of course. And, and we, uh, we got out of the dance floor. And this lady turned me inside out. We were doing some type of uh, 60s dance. And she was twirling and all kinds of stuff. And I could hardly keep up with her. And that, after we finished, and I, I took her back to her seat, I said, I... I don't think I have enough breath for another one like that because that was the most exciting thing I've done in years. That went throughout the stake. <laughs> the stake president was dancing with his older gal and because she couldn't even keep up with her. Um, I just, you, you just got to reach out to people and service leadership does that. It, it gets you out of your ivory tower and puts you on the same playing field same level as the person that you really are trying to lead. Yeah. Yeah. That's really helpful. Um, last principle, I guess we touched on a little bit, um, that the know and allow for more than one way to accomplish a task and, or achieve a goal. Anything we missed around that principle or did we cover it? I think that a good leader note will, will evaluate a situation and, and come up with multiple ways in which to accomplish the task within themselves. Yeah and then reach out and lead the conversation and allow the individuals to come up with a way to which to accomplish it. And all along you're going that direction, you need to steer a little bit because um, there are parameters in which you need to make sure that certain things do happen a certain way. And that leader is to make sure that those guideposts are in place, but uh, step back, zip your lip, allow the conversation to happen, and even though it might take a little bit longer, it might even be a little bit shorter, the, the task will be accomplished. It will be quality. And uh, if you need to tweak it along the way, you tweak it along the way. But it's the brainchild and the collective, uh, uh, of the collective group that um, they'll bring them in to take more ownership into what you're trying to accomplish. Because it's there. There they own it. They created, they own it. And just can't turn the leader and say, well, no, we, I know we came up with the, uh, the idea and we put it into place, but no, you're going to take the fall for this one. Um, <laughs> it's a lot easier for all of us to take accountability when you have collective input. Yeah. Well, Daniel, this has been uh, fantastic. And I've learned a lot just going through some of these principles. Uh, I'm curious, you said about, it's been about four years of, of rehab that you've been through. And uh, yeah, yesterday, you, Valentine's Day was our four-year mark. Nice. Four years. So what's, what's, uh, what's the next phase of your life? What does that look like for you? Um, well, I'm going to get to the point that I'm probably pretty close to that where I'm not going to get a whole lot more physical ability back. Mm -hmm. uh, and I have to kind of step back and say, okay, if this is it, then I need to accept that and then try to figure out what I can do with it. So um, I do have, you know, 
I think most of my brain power is still there. Some things are a little bit fuzzy at times. But, it seemed pretty sharp to me. So. Uh, sometimes I wonder. Um, but um, physically, I just have to figure out how to do things differently. Uh, I know there's some things I'll never be able to do again, but there's probably a lot of things that I can expand on and still do and learn from and grow from. So I just recently, we were just called up to uh, work with a new initiative the church is piloting. And uh, it's called the My Hometown Initiative. And they've been doing it in West Valley right now, but they expanded that now to the Provo area. And we've been asked to come in and help uh, organize it to a certain degree with those who have been called to lead it. And then also put together a uh, an MTC or what they call a mission training experience for the service missionaries going to be called. So we've actually been called on a service mission. We were just set apart yesterday. And so our mission is not over with. It's just going to look a little bit different. Uh, we get up and we go do what we need to do and we apply all the efforts and energy we can. And uh, whatever the limitation is, we figure out how to get around it. Yeah. So that's what the future is. It's, it's, I, I don't want to stop doing what the Lord wants me to do until I'm finished here on there. Yeah. When that happens, then I'll sit back and say, okay, now what's next? Nice. So what was the name of this initiative? My Hometown what? My Hometown Initiative. Oh, okay. What so what, what is that? Well, what it is is um, the church called Service Missionaries, and it has a leadership core. And... Um, my wife is giving me hints over here. Uh, and what it does is it goes into communities and it helps the community to bring itself up. Uh, it works on education. It works on uh, physical aspects of a community, um, working on homes and parks and things. It works on, uh, like I said, education. It works on teaching and English. It uh, teaches them how to get jobs, better jobs, um, computer skills, communication skills, uh, whatever a community needs to take them to the next level. Um, it helps them understand property value and uh, to help increase that property value. So, uh, you know, you want a community that's beautiful, vibrant, exciting, educated. Well, everything associated with a great community, um, this initiative is to help go in and help their individuals achieve that. Nice. And so it's done through uh, people being called to service missionaries like yourself and in, in specific communities. Yeah, they have it. Um, we'll have, by the time it's finished, 70-some-odd service missionaries in the community. It usually it's associated with one stake, a geographical area of one stake. So it's in, in Utah, that could be a small a yeah. small community, but um, it's going to expand. They've got two initiatives down here in, in Utah Valley, one in West Valley, and uh, it's being supported by President Ballard. And uh, I think so. It's going to go someplace. It's nice. quite well, I mean, actually you see happen. State presidents down here are pretty excited about. It. I bet I'm excited to see that progress and to hear more about it. So. Um, the last question I have for you, Daniel, is as you reflect back on your leadership experience in your life and leadership, how has being a leader helped you become a better follower of Jesus Christ? Wow, what a great question. Um, 
I, you know, I think the more you experience in life, as you connect that to the gospel, it, it, it can't help but deepen your understanding and testimony of the Savior, our Heavenly Father. Uh, you see his hand involved in, in everything. And um, being a leader, there's tremendous highs and there's tremendous lows. And the gospel levels that all out. Uh, the Savior levels that all out. When you see how he applied his leadership skills and his examples, uh, why he was here upon the earth, and how he continues to do that through those who he has called, called the leading guide, this, this great church here upon this earth. Um, it, everything that I have experienced as a leader helps me understand the gospel better. It, 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 um, it, it, it lines it out step by step by step uh, on what the gospel is all about. And the Lord is probably the most organized person I know. Um, and in leadership, you've got to be the same way as he is and as he has um, taught us. So I, I think my testimony has grown more in, in being in a leadership role because I have an opportunity to engage with Heavenly Father's children in such a significant way that I can step back and I see life's changed uh, because of, of taking what the Lord has asked us to do, organizing it in a community or, or a group setting, and then allow and seeing Heavenly Father's children flourish because of that. And then be able to step back and say, wow, I, I have an opportunity to be a part of that, but they did it themselves. And all I did was just follow the principles of the gospel and follow the leadership principles that my Heavenly Father and Savior put out for me. And uh, when you step back and see that, it, it just makes your testimony blossom uh, to a point where you just you just can't deny anymore in any way, shape, or form that this is not the truth. Uh, you just you just know it. You just feel it. You see it, and you experience it. And that concludes this How I Lead interview. I hope you enjoyed it. And uh, I would ask you, could you take a minute and drop this link in an email, on social media, in a text, wherever it makes the most sense, and share it with somebody who could relate to this experience. And this is how we how we develop as leaders, just hearing what the other guy's doing, trying some things out, testing, adjusting for your area. And uh, that's where great leadership's discovered, right? So we would love to have you uh, share this with uh, somebody in this calling or a related calling, and that would be great. And also, if you know somebody, any type of leader, who would be a fantastic guest on the How I Lead segment, reach out to us. Go to leadingsaints.org slash contact. Maybe send this in individual an email, letting them know that you're going to be suggesting their name for this interview. We'll reach out to them and uh, see if we can line them up. So again, go to leadingsaints.org slash contact, and there you can submit all the information and let us know. And maybe they will be on a future How I Lead segment on the Leading Saints podcast. And remember, go to leadingsaints.org slash 14 to access our full Young Saints virtual library. It came as a result of the position of leadership which was imposed upon us 
by the God of heaven who brought forth a restoration of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And when the declaration was made concerning the only true and living church upon the face of the earth, we were immediately put in a position of loneliness. The loneliness of leadership from which we cannot shrink nor run away and to which we must face up with boldness and courage and ability.